Welcome to the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. Our goal is to serve and encourage you as you build a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as we study the Word of God together in this week's episode. I know about a month ago we talked about where we're headed and how we're going to reshape Wednesday nights Mm -hmm. since this is the night that we do church and how the first Wednesday of every month is our fellowship night. We'll have a big dinner together. The last Wednesday of every month is our outreach night. We go out, we pray, we talk to people on the streets, see what's going on, see what they need. Um, And then in between those are the nights that we're going to do teachings. So tonight happens to be the second Wednesday of the month. And the second Wednesday of the month is our foundational teachings. So going back to the basics. Um, one, because we, since we are really outreach focused, we want to make sure that new believers have time to, to catch up, that they're being discipled the right way. Um, you know, but two, for some of us that have been Christians for a while, man, sometimes as we grow in maturity, we, we forget. Um, We get so caught up looking at deep things in the Bible that we forget the basics is what keeps us uh, in God's hands and grounded. Um, So tonight is the first night that we're going to do anything like this. Um, Tonight, I just want to give you guys the basics on the Bible. It doesn't even necessarily mean that we're going to open up anywhere I just want to talk about the Bible, why it was written, um, some historical elements, and what it's about. I mean, it may not even take very long, but we need to remember, I think, um, Charles Spurgeon said that he needs to hear the gospel daily, lest he forget it. And I think that's true for all of us um, as we go through life. And so tonight, I'm just going to give you some facts about the Bible, why it was written, and then uh, towards the end, I might open it up for some questions because honestly, um, I'm one of those people that forgot. I've spent so much time studying uh, what scholars have written about the Bible rather than sticking to some of the basics that when I was thinking about what to even talk about tonight, what to even teach on tonight, I stumbled for several days because I couldn't get out of that like deep, thought process mindset that so many scholars are in, you know, like, what do these words mean? What do these words mean? Context, yada, yada, yada. Like, um, so I'm going to pray and then we're just going to take a little bit of time to talk about the Bible. If that's cool with you guys, because honestly, I love the Bible. It's well, well, we'll get there. So let's pray first cover everything in prayer. Abba, Father, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus, and we thank you again just for worship, just that time to worship you with song. I pray that this time of worship, as we talk about your word and why it was written and the context of it, um, I ask that you would just inspire us tonight, that things would be so simplified that we would no longer be discouraged by how thick the Bible is or uh, things that we don't understand, but that we would be encouraged to ask questions and to seek things out that we would really be able to come together and talk about things and, um, and even have friendly debates because there are so many different sides of theology. There are so many different viewpoints sometimes. Uh, and sometimes the Bible pro- provides enough wiggle room for there to be a little bit of both. Um, and we just thank you for, again, everybody you have here tonight. I ask that my words would be your words or that your words would be my words tonight. And um, just that, this wouldn't be dry because sometimes <laughs> uh, teachings like this can be very dry and it's like, oh, well, I don't even know why I'm here. I want to take a nap. So uh, I ask that you would keep us awake <laughs> and uh, keep us passionate um, and that we would just get to really talk about you tonight in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. All right, so, um, <clears throat> so one of the reasons why I want to do this other than us just building foundations for some of us, but also restoring foundations for others is that I'm going to be completely honest. I think most 
preachers, I'm going to use my words very carefully, I think most preachers are doing the church a disservice. Because when people congregate, when the, church, when the family of God congregates on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night or a Saturday morning or Wednesdays, times like this, this is, this is a time for believers to grow in the Word of God. And oftentimes what we get from preachers, not necessarily pastors and not necessarily teachers, but preachers on a Sunday morning or whenever their church service is, um, oftentimes we get an inspirational message. And those things can be good. They can inspire us to go deeper. Um, they can uh, have nuggets of, of like real great biblical truth in them. Uh, and, I, and I don't want to say that I'm, I'm I, I don't want this to sound like I'm bashing preachers as a whole because I do love a good, man, I do love a good like preacher, man. Sometimes, sometimes I go back and listen to Billy Graham and the way that he preached and I'm like, ah, this guy. Um, but... But my heart is really to provide a place where we can all come and learn and discuss and grow together. I want, my heart is that we would grow in maturity and discipleship and that we would all each individually learn how to study the Bible so that you're not getting fed by me every week and then waiting for, for whatever spiritual high you get on a Wednesday or on a Saturday night when, you, when we get together. Um, I love to answer questions. I love to answer questions too much um, sometimes. And sometimes I just need to let people wander and, and look for the answers themselves. But my heart is that when we do things here, it would be 90% teaching so that we're learning and we're growing together. And you guys are taking tools away to be able to look for information in the Bible yourselves. Uh, and then 10% preaching and like the inspirational messages whenever... The Lord really puts it on our hearts, you know. Um, I want you guys to not be intimidated by this thing. I know that there are a lot of books in this. I know in this one book, so here we go, biblical facts. In this one book, there are 66 books. It's a lot of books in one book. And somehow they condensed it, they can condense it into this little thing. I mean, I have books at home that are thicker than this that don't have even two books in them, let alone like 66. Um, which is crazy to me that there are 66 books in this. So let's, let's go over some facts because I, I don't want you guys to be intimidated because um, the Bible really is fun. The Bible has a lot to say. Um, there's a lot of weird... There's a lot of weird stuff in the Bible. Did you know at one point God, in, in, uh, God commands someone to pee on a wall as like a prophetic like symbolism? Real weird. Do you know that at one point God commands someone, it's Ezekiel, it's where we get the term Ezekiel bread from. So if you like Ezekiel bread, I'm sorry that this is where uh, the inspiration for that name comes from. At one point God commands Ezekiel to cook bread over human feces. And Ezekiel's like, no, I don't want to do that. Let me cook it over cow feces instead. Um, there are a lot of weird little things in the Bible that oftentimes don't make sense unless we're really studying, but they're still fun to look at and go, what the heck? Why is this here? <laughs> this is very strange. Um, <clears throat> so, the first, the first thing that I want to talk about when we talk about the Bible, and this is the most important, this is why it's coming first, is that the Bible is a unified story leading to Jesus. No matter where you start, no matter where you finish as you're reading, it always, always, always points to Jesus being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There's no getting around that. Even in the places that you don't understand, even in the Old Testament where the name of Jesus is never mentioned, everything is still pointing to Jesus. A lot of the Old Testament, especially in Genesis and Exodus, which are two, two they're probably my favorite books of the Bible, um, <clears throat> it's all set up for what happens later. And when you begin to really see that setup, when you begin to see those patterns, um, the Bible really comes alive as you're going through it. So, number one, the Bible is a unified story pointing to Jesus no matter what. And one thing... <clears throat> yes, Angel? I have a question before sure. you go any further. Yeah. So, I know there are tons of different versions of the Bible. Yeah. So, what's your question? <laughs> 
So what you're speaking is just good general knowledge about any Bible that I pick up. Right, any Bible. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the best Bible to read is whatever Bible is going to keep you reading it. So you don't need to worry about translations. Not until you really get into <clears throat> getting degrees in the Bible should you really start worrying about what Bible translation you're reading. And even then, there's not any one Bible that's better than the other. There are different sets of manuscripts that are translated. Um, they get translated into our English versions. Like, so the King James, the New King James, and the Modern English Version, which are the versions I like to read the most, are translated from one set of manuscripts. Um, which I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, so we can come back to that later if I remember it. And then most of the reg, most of, is it Masoretic? Yeah. Is it Masoretic Rexus text or something like that? Uh, somebody's gonna. There's gonna be a, a Bible scholar listening to this podcast later, just cringing um, as we try to explain this. So, um, and then most of the other like modern. Uh, most of the other English versions that we have get, get translated majority from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and there's a lot of great things in the Dead Sea Scrolls too and in those translations. The majority of all of them are going to blend together and they're all going to say essentially the same thing. There are some words in each translation that differ based on the people that are translating it. But you could very easily, again, as you dig deeper into the Bible, um, if you get like a Strong's Concordance or something like that, you can see the definitions of each word and why they picked it and different things like that. So it, it gets a little bit more complicated uh, as you dive into the original languages, like the Hebrew and the Greek. But I'm not saying that we need to do that tonight. I just want to inspire you guys to read the Bible. That's really it. So um, does that answer your question? It does. Okay. Can I offer her a little tip? Yeah, go for it. Um, one of the great little tips on a, an iPhone or smartphone is a U version. Yeah. I-O-U. Okay? You just search that and then you can download it. Mm -hmm. It gives you every translation. Literally every translation. Of. And, well. and it, the other thing is it has two different books, uh, two translations, the NIV and one other one, that will actually read it for you. So some of these difficult names in the Old Testament, you can hear them pronounce them. It makes much more sense to you. So yeah. uh, I just would highly recommend you download that U version. Oh, yeah. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So the Bible is a unified story pointing to Jesus, no matter where you start, no matter where you end. Um, and the whole reason why we're here is because of Jesus. So we want to be reading it. I know it's a really large book, but um, it's not as difficult or as complex as we make it out to be, especially, again, depending on what translation we're reading. Um, and I used to be a big stickler for <laughs> the King James and the New King James. Um, those were my favorites to read from uh, until I really understood why the other translations were written. So my encouragement to you tonight is to read whatever version of the Bible is going to keep you reading it. I do not care what version it is as long as you're reading it. Um, there are different translations of the Bible. Uh, some translations like the modern English version, the New American Standard, and the ESV are going to be word-for-word -word translations, and that's great. Hi, Amanda. Um, Good morning, Amanda. So... Uh, and then there are other translations that are more thought-for-thought. Thought. The thought-for-thought translations are going to be easier to read. So if you're looking for something that's a little bit easier to read, that's going to help you grow because you're just looking to get the story of God inside of you, translations like the NIV um, or the NLT um, or the Tree of Life version. The Nope. No. <laughs> Stay away. Go over there. <laughs> Stay over there. New English. Uh, the NLT. new, the NLT. NLT and NET. NET, the New English. That's what you said. Yeah. Um, also, great versions. So um, now that we've stated that, let's let's look through some other things. Um, so the Bible can be broken down into five different categories. Uh, there are historical books, which is 
the most of the Old Testament. There are 17 historical books in the Old Testament. There's uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. So these are all technically considered historical books of the Bible. And they are fun. There is a lot of stuff in here. Um, my spiritual dad used to say that he didn't have to watch soap operas because there was enough drama in the Bible. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you like books and TV shows with drama in them and affairs and uh, some of the, you know, murders and mystery and uh, everything else, the Bible is definitely the book for you. Uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's weird stuff. So I don't want to give it all away. Um, but there's a lot of really interesting things that happen. Um, probably one of the most famous ones, in case you guys don't know. Uh, it's not that big of a spoiler. David, King David, decides one day that he wants to have an affair with one of his general's wives after watching her bathe from, on her roof from his roof, uh, which is a really weird thing to think about in our culture. Um, you know, and then he sends off the husband eventually to, to die in battle and ends up marrying her. Um, so there's a lot of drama. There's a lot of weird stuff that, uh, again, we don't always understand until we look into the context and we keep reading. Sometimes we just have to keep reading. Uh, when we don't know what to read, it's okay to just pick a spot and start. Um, when we don't understand, it's okay. Because even though our minds don't understand right off the top, our spirits understand and our spirits get it. And the more we, we read, the more our spirits come alive and the, and the greater understanding we're going to get. Um, we have to keep in mind that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us. He reminds us of all things. Um, he brings all things to our remembrance and he teaches us. We forget oftentimes that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And the only way he teaches us is as we open up the word of God and we begin to grow in it. We begin to grow in our knowledge of it. Um, I, I know some people that are a little overly spiritual that say, oh, well, I don't need to read the Bible. I have the Holy Spirit. And we forget that, first of all, crazy. Um, second of all, heresy. Uh, thirdly, we forget that Jesus and John 1, John 1, 1, Jesus is the Word of God. He was there from the beginning. Um, He's the Word of God made flesh. So when he sends the Holy Spirit and he says, my Holy Spirit will tell you and remind you of all the things that I said to you, he's, he's, talking, he's still talking about himself as the Word of God. Um, he came to fulfill the Word of God. And so it's important that we have our Spirit, the Holy Spirit, mixed with the Word of God or else we begin to have a great imbalance. Um, and the last thing that we want to do is become imbalanced because... You know, we don't want to be a church that is so hung up on the Bible that we become legalistic and we no longer have grace or love for people. But we also don't want to be a church that is so spiritual that we aren't listening to the Holy Spirit anymore and we get put on a podcast like Cultish or Remnant Radio comes after us. Both great podcasts if you want to listen to them. I'm throwing things out to help you guys. So, uh, you know, we want, to, we want to stay grounded. We want to stay balanced. We want to know what God is saying um, no matter what. So let's get back to facts. There are five poetic books of the Bible. This is the second category. The poetic books are also great. Most people read Job as if it's historical. I will tell you that Job is not historical. It is a poetic book. There is a lot of metaphor in there. Um, and because we read it historically, oftentimes when we read things that are in Job, we misinterpret what it's saying. Um, the Psalms is where we get a lot of our modern day songs and worship songs from. This is the Psalms, which is great. The Psalms are amazing. If you don't know where to start, start in Psalms. I encourage you guys, start in Psalms. 150 of them. None of them are that long. Well, Psalm 119 is 170. Yeah, it's 176. Psalm 119 is 176 verses long. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. 
you can skip around. It breaks it up into sections. You'll be okay. Um, but if you don't know where to read and you want to understand the character of God and you also are having a bad day or you're having a good day, Psalms is a great place to start. Like you can literally start in Psalm 1 and read until you find your situation and then it becomes a prayer. If you don't know what to pray, if you don't really know where to start, start in Psalms and keep reading until you find where you need to be. Um, Proverbs is the third poetic book. Proverbs is great because there are 31 chapters, and if you don't know where to start and read every day, you can, you can read Proverbs. Proverbs is a great place to start, especially as a new believer, because it's practical. Um, it's very sanctifying. And you can start there and read it in a month if you read one chapter every day. You probably won't remember everything if you read it in a month, but you can at least start there and get it in your system. Um, Ecclesiastes is a uh, poetic book. It's a sad poetic book, so if you like emo music, Ecclesiastes is the way to go. Um, Or heavy metal or darker things. (laughs) The birds sang um, in every uh, turn, turn, turn. Yeah, everything. Yeah. The birds. The birds. <laughs> That's for old people. <laughs> B-Y-R-D-S, actually. Also. That's right. Um, Song of Solomon, also a great poetic book. In case you guys didn't know, God wrote a book about sex in the Song of Solomon. So we're just going to get that out of the way, get the giggles out of the way. Um, when I said the Bible has a lot to offer and it's fun, there's the Song of Solomon. <laughs> um, there are 17 poetic, uh, prophetic books, uh, and these oftentimes have other categories attached to them, the major prophets and the minor prophets, because some of the prophetic books are much thicker than others. Um, There's one minor prophet book that has three chapters. And then there is uh, probably the longest of all the major prophets, Isaiah, probably the best one. You could take, yeah, Isaiah, man, 66. So fun fact about Isaiah, as we list our facts, Isaiah is oftentimes considered a miniature Bible. Because there are 66 chapters in Isaiah, like there are 66 books of the Bible. Isaiah starts off talking a lot about um, the creation narrative. If you don't know it, you kind of miss it. But it has a lot to do with God coming in and there being chaos and God taking the chaos and commanding the chaos into order. So all throughout Isaiah, you get this theme, the same theme that actually runs throughout the Bible of there being chaos, God coming to bring chaos into order, his people being disobedient and then having him, and then have him having to send a savior uh, both the first time and the second time because it's actually in Isaiah that we get the prophecies about Jesus coming as a child, as a newborn. It's where we get the prophecies about him being, you know, the root of David. But it's also it's it's where we get prophecies about the crucifixion, him dying, Isaiah fifty three. Um, but then it's also towards the end of of Isaiah. It's where we get a lot of the prophecies about him coming as king. So you could literally take Isaiah out of the Bible and read it and still get the Bible. Um, So again, Isaiah is a great place to start. Let's list some of these other books of the prophetic books. We've got Isaiah, Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah is also known as the weeping prophet. So again, if you like emo music like I do, maybe start in Jeremiah. Uh, He wrote another book called Lamentations and well, in it, he just laments and cries. Uh, so again, if you like emo music like I do, it's, it's a good book to read. Um, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Michael, Nahum, Habakkuk, my phone turned off, uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and then Malachi. Um, all great books of the Bible. All fun. Yeah, I said Amos. One of the great things about the prophetic books is that if you're interested in the end times, if you're interested in Revelation, read the prophetic books. Oftentimes, if we read Revelation by itself, we don't understand the full context of it. We'll get to Revelation later, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But I just want to throw that out there before we moved on. Now, some of the most important books of the Bible, the Gospels, the beginning of the New Testament. 
Um, if you don't know where to start, most people will tell you to start in the Gospel of John. It's a great place to start. There are The four Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and the word Gospel means good news. Uh, and so when we talk about the Gospel of the Kingdom of God or the Gospel of Jesus Christ, we're talking about the good news of Jesus and the good news of the Kingdom of Heaven. The good news is despite how bad we are, how bad we've messed up, what mistakes we've made, how terrible we feel about ourselves or even other people, Jesus came to save us and to restore us to what He originally created in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. We now have the same access to God that Adam and Eve did before they sinned. The good news is that not only did he die for our sins, like it says in Isaiah 53, but he also died for our healing. And the gospel without healing is not the gospel at all. Because when we look at the crucifixion and what the crucifixion states in Isaiah and all the promises of God in Isaiah 53 and what it would look like, the crucifixion always includes the blood of Jesus for the cleansing of our sins, but also his body being broken so that we can be healed. Um, and that healing isn't just physical. It can be mental, can be emotional, um, but there is always healing included. And so one thing that I want to encourage you guys in, healing is one of my favorite subjects of the Bible. If you're looking for healing of any kind, the Bible says in Proverbs that the word of the Lord is like a good medicine. And if we're looking, if we're taking medicine three times a day in order to be healed or in order to get rid of whatever afflictions that might be bothering us, maybe it's time to start reading the Bible three times a day. Even if it's just one verse, you know. Um, are you guys tracking with me? Are you guys still interested? You guys aren't falling asleep? Good. All right, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels. The four Gospels are great. Matthew is written to the Jews, so there's a lot of fulfillment of prophetic things in it. Matthew specifically went after the idea of Jesus being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Matthew talks a lot about the kingdom of heaven is what he uses, whereas the rest of the Gospels use the kingdom of God. Jesus is specifically talking about the realm. I mean, Matthew in his Gospel is specifically talking not just about Jesus being King, but he's talking about the land and realm that Jesus rules and how it will invade earth. All right, so there's a lot of a lot of that kind of language in there, and that's why it's my favorite. I like Matthew a lot. Mark is really cool. Mark is written to Romans. Romans were looking for more of a supernatural flavor uh, because at the time they were very out there in their belief systems. And so Mark is written to the, the Romans. It's short and sweet. It has the most demonic activity in it. So if you're looking to know more about demons, Mark is a good place to start. Mark specifically is like, hey, look at all this stuff that Jesus did. It's all supernatural. It's miraculous. Um, Luke has the most healings in it. Matthew has the second most. And then Mark has the third most. Mark specifically is like, hey, we're going to go after supernatural stuff. That's why Mark, if you compare them, Mark is short and sweet. Mark is direct to the point. There's very little sermons in there. Uh, Jesus isn't preaching as much. He's really just like, this is, this is the stuff that Jesus did. Luke was written to the Greeks, the intellectuals. That's why there's more sermons in it. That's why there's parables. Um, the Gentiles, yeah. Um, he's looking to not only to provide theology for healing because the Greeks were super intellectual and they needed to see stuff like that, but he's also providing in Luke. Luke is a great place to send an intellectual because that's where a lot of the that's where we get a lot of our apologetic arguments from is in the Gospel of Luke. And then John is just the gospel of love, man. John reveals so much about the character of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit and how they all interact with each other. So that's why a lot of people go to John first is because it's really just Jesus talking a lot about himself and about his Father, our Father now, and the Holy Spirit. So um, after that... There is uh, the book of Acts, which it's kind of its own category. Um, so I guess there are six categories in the Bible. 
Uh, Acts is a weird one because it has a lot, it, it talks a lot about what the disciples did after Jesus ascended into heaven again. So it's after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. This is what happens. The book of Acts is what happens after that. The book of Acts is our model as Christians. If we are not experiencing, well, the world is different now, so I won't say that. We want our life to be a reflection of what the disciples went through in the book of Acts as much as possible in the time era and culture that we live in. This is our model. This is our inspiration. This is what we're aiming towards. We want to see prayer meetings we, that, that you know, shake the building. We want to see miraculous healings that happen that, that change the culture and the city that we're living in. You know, we want that stuff to get out. We want the gospel to spread. Um, I like to think of Acts 2 as the history of the New Testament church. Yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I like that. Um, and then... There are 21 epistles in the Bible. There's Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and Jude. And then, of course, it ends with Revelation, right? And it's not the revelation of the devil, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, as much as we like to talk about people who don't understand Revelation end up becoming conspiracy theorists a lot of times, and they make Revelation more about the devil and about Satan's army than it actually is about. The book is actually about the revelation of Jesus coming back and how he's going to protect his people and bring about his glory on the earth. Um, so... Fun facts about the epistles, Paul wrote 13 of them. Even though Paul wrote 13 epistles, he still does not have the word count that Luke does. Luke technically has written more of the New Testament than Paul has because of the word count in Acts and Luke. So, yeah, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Luke is a physician too. Yeah. He always used a lot of big words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> leave, it, leave it to the physician to go after the Greeks, right? So, um, <clears throat> Roman, uh, the epistles, again, great places to start. The epistles are great if you have like some sort of basic idea of Christianity and what it's about, and you just want to start getting sanctified. The epistles are great for confronting sin in our lives. I mean... The majority of the beginning of 1 Corinthians is about two things. One, the church being in disunity. And two, there was a guy sleeping with a stepmom. <laughs> and Paul said, hey, don't do that. Uh, and then they ended up kicking him out of the church. But anyway, let's, we won't get into that. History lessons. Romans is a great place to start because Romans is the book of the Bible that has the most Christian doctrine in it. Most people, when they're looking to define their Christian doctrine, they go to Romans first before any other book of the Bible. So if you're a theology geek like I am, and you're trying to understand what people are saying, the first place to go is Romans. You'll likely find some sort of basis in Romans for whatever a person is talking about when they're talking about the Bible. Um, if you're looking to be a pastor or teacher or preacher, uh, first, second, first Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus are great places to start. If you are Jewish and you want to start reading the Bible, start in Hebrews because it's written to Jews. Um, so, fun facts, more fun facts. Did you know, so get this, I said that the Bible is one unified story all pointing to Jesus. It is, uh, it, it baffles a lot of scholars and scientists because of how concise it is and how many cross-references there are all over it. However, historically speaking, as, they discover, as they've studied original scrolls, they have, they have discovered that there are small nuances that set each letter apart from the next. So they know that it couldn't have all been written by one person. It had to have been written by multiple people over 1,500 years. It took over 1,000 years to write the Old Testament by itself. Um, but it took not, not nearly as much time <laughs> to write the New Testament. Um, but overall, it's, it's, it's written in about 1,500 years, give or take. 
It took about 1,500 years to write the Bible. Uh, now, the Bible was written by over 40 people, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is way different than any other religion because every other religion has one book written by one person. And yet the Bible miraculously... Do you have a question? I do. Go for it. You said something about timing. Mm -hmm. You know how there's like A.D. and something else? Mm -hmm. B.C. Yeah. Yeah. Before Christ and... That confuses after me. What is it? After what? It's not after death. After death. After death. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, BC stands for before Christ. That's where I get confused. Yeah. Because what would be before Christ? Whatever happened before Christ. Before, before he, he came. Before he was born. Yeah. Before he was born. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. That's what we call the Old Testament. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So from the story of Genesis all the way through Malachi, then there was a break of about 400 years before Matthew and Jesus came on the cross. So there was a, there was a period, an intertestamental period, mm -hmm. between the Old and the New Testament, where it was just silence. Yeah. BC is about two thousand yeah. years. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. Yeah. So. Um, four thousand. Excuse me. Four thousand. <laughs> two and two. Four thousand. Yeah. And let me ask you this, Ronnie. Yeah. You brought up a really good point with the AD, the BC. I was just saying, Mary. I used to always think BC was before Christ. AD was after the death, but that is not true. No. What does AD actually mean? It's, it's a Greek word. Yeah, what is it? But what does it mean? The year, the year of our Lord. The year of our Lord. Okay. Yeah. So he was supposed to be born. Year old, but I've heard some people say he was born 4 B.C. Now, that's weird. Four years before Christ, Christ was born. So, you know, anyway. Whatever it is, those are just designations to show times of history. Yeah. I don't know how they break all that up. That's not as... <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys. Stuff like that's not as important to me as like what's actually in the Bible. So, yeah. I, I, <laughs> which one? They've got two or three now. <laughs> um, all right. So let's bring it back in. Uh, so the Bible is written by by forty author authors. There are forty authors of the Bible. Um, all of them inspired by the Holy Spirit, which is why there's so much overlap. There's so much um, cross-referencing. And so especially in ancient times, the people who wrote were typically uh, people who were philosophers. They were kings. They had some sort of education. But the miraculous thing about the Bible is that it defies basically all laws of classhood. Um, kings wrote the Bible. Peasants wrote the Bible. Prophets wrote the Bible, philosophers wrote the Bible, fishermen wrote the Bible, poets wrote the Bible, statesmen wrote the Bible, scholars wrote the Bible, and even one book is written by a tax collector. So um, the, that's kind of the great thing about the Bible is that as much as uh, there are arguments against it, it, it still ends up being the one book written that kind of defies all odds historically. Um, it, it, it is, it's just really cool like that. It, it's the, well, I don't know if it still is. It used to be by, by a lot, um, the most sold book in the world. Um, it still is. Praise the Lord. Um, not so much in English, but yeah. Um, it's the most translated book in the world. Uh, you can find a uh, you can find a not in every language, but in more languages than any other book. The Bible is also the only religious text that um, that speaks well of women. Actually, uh, in fact, women are spoken of a total of fourteen thousand fifty six times. Um, the word woman is mentioned and uh, it's one of the only historical books that actually takes the time to defend women um, which is really cool most people don't realize that 
The Bible is one of the only religious books that shows historical like accuracy, that has any historical accuracy to it as far as the Old Testament goes. Um, it, and it is prophetic. It's also, it's got over 6,000 prophecies in it, and at least 3,000 of them have been fulfilled so far. Um, and if one of them did, didn't happen, the whole Bible would be thrown out. Yeah. They all have to happen. Yeah, especially, especially in the Old Testament, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, the Bible is also really weird fact. The Bible is also the most stolen book in the world. People actively wow. steal it. Yeah. Yeah. Gideons go in and tempt people by leaving a Bible. That's right. So it, dis- it disappears. So when you go into a hotel room, you see a Bible. It's an organization that puts them in there. So a lot of people do. Take it upon themselves to remove them. <laughs> Gideons are okay with that. That is. The Gideons want that to happen, which is nice. <laughs> All right. So, the last couple things I'm going to mention, and then we'll wrap it up for the night. Um, I I really like this podcast called The Bible Project. I know that some of us watch their videos on YouTube. The videos are great. I love them. They're great study tools. I really like their podcast where they spend two hours talking about one subject at a time. Um, it gets very scholarly. It really, like, I just really like it. Uh, but they have a great way of simplifying things. So this is actually from their website. I'm going to read some of this to you. They have classified the Bible um, into six different sections, three in the old and three in the new. Uh to explain how the story, how God's story, the, G- the story of Jesus works in the Bible. So, how the story works. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see creation and the royal task. So, in Genesis 1 and 2, this is the, the first category. God confronts chaos and out of it creates a wonderful, wonderful ordered, ordered world full of beauty and potential. He then appoints humans to oversee this world and multiply and create new communities. This opening story, excuse me, offers an ideal vision of the vocation of humans. Humans are to take this good world and develop all of its potential while living in harmony with God and each other. So this is this is the divine mandate. When we get saved, we go back to this. Be fruitful, multiply, take authority over everything, right? But we have to remember too, a little nugget, that taking authority doesn't mean that we rule and reign right now. It means that we serve with humility and we come up under in order to make it better, right? Um, So, section two, rebellion and fallout. This happens between Genesis 3 through 11. Uh, There are three main falls of humanity the first one is obviously in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sin. Um, the second one is when God had to flood the earth during Noah's time because of the angels mating with humans and everyone just sinning abundantly. And then the third one that people don't all often look at as a fall is actually the Tower of Babel. Um, yeah. So in that story... Humanity decides to band together in order to build a tower to make themselves God. What does that sound like? Satan trying to ascend to the Most High. Um, Now, the tower that they built was actually a type of pyramid. Uh, Man, and I don't remember what the type of pyramid is called. but Ziggurat? Ziggurat, that's it. Thank you. Um, So it's the type of pyramids that have layers. And as as they get get smaller and smaller, it gets to the top. So it looks like stepping stones. So it's ascending, right? Um, So again, kind of prophetic utterances of humanity's fall, echoing what Satan did. Um, So uh, in this section of of Scripture, Genesis 3 through 11, we see uh, the humans go about this task that they've been given. They're uh, faced with choices about what is good and what is evil. Will they trust in God's wisdom or will they seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves. 
Here, a dark and mysterious character enters the story. It represents evil at its source and entices the humans to doubt God's genera generosity and rebel. This leads to disaster. Humanity's relationship with God is fractured and their relationships with themselves, their families, and, and the earth break down. This all leads to the rise of two separate cities, Enoch and Babylon, where pride and violence reign. Um, so as we go through Genesis, eventually we'll, we'll get to those two cities. They're, they're really fascinating. So the last section of the Old Testament is God's covenant with Israel. And this starts in Genesis 12 and then goes all throughout the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, now, in this section of Scripture, we have several, we have three different movements that happen. Um, so let me just read what they wrote, because I just, just think it's really awesome, and it's, it's simple, it's easy to understand, and it, I think it's just really inspiring, so hopefully you guys are getting as much out of this as I did, and uh, we'll continue to. So, uh, section three, God's covenant with Israel, the tension between the just and the generous creator, God, and the rebellious nations who have given into evil develops the plot conflict that drives the storyline of the entire Bible. God's response sets in motion a plan to restore divine blessing to the whole world. He will do this through one family chosen among the nations, the people of Abraham, who later become Israel. So the story of God in Israel is the main subplot of the biblical story, and it has three main movements. Uh, movement one is that God chooses Israel to bless nations. This happens through Genesis 12 and all of Deuteronomy. So God makes a covenant promise to Abraham's family to make them into a land where they will become a nation that brings God's blessings to the world. The family grows, but they become enslaved in Egypt as a nation, Egypt embodies all that has gone wrong with humanity. There's idolatry, injustice, and giving into evil. So God raises up Moses and defeats Egypt's e evil, rescuing his people and bringing them to Mount Sinai. There he enters into a covenant partnership with, e with Israel. Furthermore, he will personally live among them. They are invited to obey the terms of the covenant, which start with the Ten Commandments, followed by hundreds more. Uh, by being faithful to these commands, they will become God's priestly representatives to the nations. So then we hit movement two, which is called Israel's ro royal failure. This happens in Judges, Joshua Judges, First and Second Samuel, and First and Second Kings. So uh, in this section of Scripture, we see that Israel enters the Promised Land and they blow it big time. They begin worshiping the gods of other nations that surround them, leading to the corruption and injustice that you eventually read about. Uh, even, even their best kings, like David and Solomon, fall miserably over and over and over again. Eventually, the leaders of Israel run the nation into the ground, and then the tribes of Israel are conquered by the superpower Babylon. Most of the Israelites are then dragged into exile in Babylon, and now we see two big conflicts in the story. All the nations have continued with their rebellion, ruining God's good world, and even God's own chosen people are doing the same thing. And then we enter into movement three, which is Israel's exile and prophetic hope. This is all the prophets, man. This is, this is what the prophets are about. So despite Israel's sin, all wasn't lost. Among Israel was a vocal minority called the prophets. They had previously warned of Israel's downfall, but they also made it clear that it wasn't the end of the story. God had promised to restore divine blessing into the promised. Uh, God had promised to restore divine blessing to the world through this family, and even Israel's rebellion wouldn't stop him. Their hope was that after the exile, God would return to live among the people once again, and a great leader would come and lead Israel in faithfulness to their God. Moreover, it would be through this leader that God would rescue the rest of the world. Enter movement four, Jesus and the kingdom of God. Um, man, they're getting rowdy in there. So this is, this is about the Gospels. Um, <laughs> we're going to start reading the Gospels in a couple weeks, so I'm just going gonna to let that one sit. I think, I think even those of us that haven't been in church for a while or at all, 
at least know a little bit about the Gospels. The Gospels is the story of Jesus here on the earth, defining his rescue plan. Um, then we see movement five, which is the spreading of the kingdom, which is Acts through all the epistles. Uh, and then we have the return of the king, which is where uh, J.R.R. Tolkien got the title of Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Right. Yeah, that's actually, so there's actually a lot of really great uh, allegories out there that are complete fiction that have to do with the gospel. Lord of the Rings probably being the most famous and then um, the Chronicles of Narnia being the second most famous. So um, just in case you guys were wondering. All right, so... um, <laughs> Are you questioning all the? Is the Lord of the Rings real? Or <laughs> not? I, mean, I haven't seen the Lord of the Rings, but I've seen the what? Chronicles of Narnia, and I'm just I'm not. I'm not reading. <laughs> I must be missing something. Yeah, you got to read the books. Oh. The movies don't do it. No, the books. Are yeah, because oh. yeah, most of the most of the yeah, the line is supposed to be Jesus. Yeah, but you have to remember that a lot of the Hollywood productions of things are secular. There aren't very many hardcore Christians in Hollywood that are going to do any of that stuff justice. Especially with the Chronicles of Narnia because Lord of the Rings is more covert, but Narnia is pretty upfront and in your face about it once you get to, once you really realize what is happening. And C.S. Lewis wrote it. Yeah. And he's a... A little something I'd like to say. Yeah. You can read the Bible in 71 hours. And you say, well, it's just another book. You read it. Okay, I read it. Put it down. But the good thing about the Bible, it comes with the Holy Spirit. And God hovers over that book to perform His works and perform works in you. And you can read a passage one day and man, it just speaks to your heart. Yeah. And you can read it in a week, and it'll say something else yeah. and speak to your heart. So you just can't read it and say, okay, I'm done. Yeah. You have to go back and, with the help of the Spirit, go through it, and He makes it alive. Mm-hmm. It is, it's a living entity. It's yeah. The Word of God is Jesus, and it can be alive in you. So, yeah, yeah just don't read it and put it down. Keep yeah. on reading yeah. You know, there's that promise in Isaiah 55 11 where it says that the word, word of God, God when yeah. it goes out, so it does not return voice. Yeah. Empty your voice mm-hmm. and always accomplish this, the purpose for which it was sent. Yeah. So, God has something that He can do. He can get a hook, put a hook in your heart so yeah. fast, mm-hmm. you don't know what's up sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what conviction is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit comes and takes the word. And just gets a hold of our heart. And that's how transformation happens in Christians from the inside out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been, I mean, some of us in here have been studying the Bible way longer than I have. Uh, and you guys still get new things out of it. I have degrees in this stuff. And every time I open it, I get something new out of it. You know? Um, and something that you didn't even you've been reading it all along and all of a sudden it's like oh how did I miss that yeah I mean the Bible says itself in Hebrews 4 it says that the the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two edged sword Um, so I mean it just cuts through and it cuts through the noise it cuts through the garbage that happens in life the bad things that happen and so you know it is the best book I've ever read, and it is the only book that I continue to go back and reread over and over and over again. All right. So, um, homework over the next couple weeks. Yep, you got homework. You got homework, man. Uh, homework. So, so my homework is really simple. We we just talked about the Bible, facts about the Bible, some history about the Bible. Um, I mentioned this earlier. This is a weakness of mine right now. I have studied and have been studying so many people who are scholarly that I have trouble thinking about some of our foundations and some of the basics 
uh, right now. And so I need a reminder about what some of that stuff is. So my homework to you guys is to ask questions. I want to know what you want to know about the Bible so that we can go looking for it together. Um, we might have some things where I, I do things a little bit more scripted uh, in the sense that I feel like, you know, with our, our second Wednesdays where it's a little bit more for, for foundations and, and new believers and stuff, I might go into something that I feel like the Lord has put on my heart. But more than, more than that, my way of discipling people, honestly, is just to see what kind of questions you guys have. I want to feed your hunger. I want to know what you're hungry for. And, excuse me, I want to know what you might be missing out on so that we can provide a way for you to find it and go into it together. Um, not only that, but the way, but the, I think the best way to do that is, is to also teach you guys, you know, how to read the Bible as we go through it. Um, because as Westerners, we don't, un- especially in the Old Testament, we don't always understand the patterns and things that happen in the Bible. I definitely don't, and I'm learning more and more of that every day. So my homework for you guys is to think about questions and send them to me. I don't care if it's email. I don't care if you ask me in person. I don't care if you text me. I don't care if you send it to me on Facebook, whatever. Um, On the church page on Facebook, we actually do have a post asking people for questions. So if you want to put them there, that would probably be easier for me. That way I can see them all. Uh, Josiah already asked a really good one, so I'm going to start looking into that one sometime soon and kind of gathering my notes on some of that stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I want to know what you guys are thinking about, what kind of questions you have, and how we can help each other find the answers and just really evaluate what the Word of God says. So, is that cool? Yeah. yeah. All right. Help me get back to the basics because <laughs> I, I feel like you know, again, we forget, but in our maturity, but also in our maturity, the, one of the reasons why we forget is because it becomes second nature, like breathing. And, you know, but even then, like having just gotten over COVID and, and pneumonia, like, yeah, like breathing was second nature, but there were days where I had to remember that I had to breathe, you know? And so that happens with our spiritual life a lot of times too. Like we need to go back and remember, even though these things are a part of my walk every day and they are second nature to me, I need to go back and re-remember them. Um, so let's work towards that. Cool. Next week, we're going to continue our series on the character of God that uh, we started in Exodus 34. We're going to talk about His loyal love and um, use the latter part of those scriptures to jump into more sanctification-esque type top- topics. Um, eventually after we talk about his loyal love, but next week we're definitely going to talk about his loyal love and what that word means in the Hebrew and how it relates to us. So be here for that if you want to be. I might use big words. I might use Hebrew words. So if you want a little bit more advanced class, definitely come and hang out for that. Cool. All right, let's pray Um, because the kids are ready to go. My wife was texting me, so... uh, She's ready. uh, She's ready to go, yeah. She's got help in there tonight. She's still ready to go, so... uh, Abba, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you so much for your word. Um, I pray that tonight was full of fun facts, but was also inspirational. I I pray that we all leave inspired to dig a little deeper or to even start... um, You know, sometimes we don't need to read the Bible as if it's like this big thing that we need to study. Sometimes we need to go back to the basics and just read it as if it's a story, a story that we can find ourselves in, a story that we can find you in. And so uh, I pray tonight, Holy Spirit, just that you would convict us of those things, whatever we need in order to draw closer to you. uh, I just pray that you would give that to us tonight. Um, Again, we thank you for everyone who's here. We pray blessings over everyone. We love you, Abba. You are such a good and loving Father. Jesus, you're such a good Savior. Holy Spirit, thank you for empowering us and bringing us back to life. Uh, God, you're amazing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Highland Park Community Church Podcast. We pray that you experienced the Holy Spirit in revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
If you've been impacted by our ministry and would like to make a financial contribution or you'd like to partner with us to reach the Highland Park community, visit us at www.myhpcc.net. We'll see you next time.